Welcome to Heavy Strategy. We've got a loose title for this called Things I Wish I'd Known Back When, Jonah. How far back is when? Uh, we're not going to talk about that. Haven't you ever learned it's impolite to ask a lady her age? Um, but I could say I've been around since the Paleolithic era. So, Well, I go back to the days of when I first started out. It was mini computers and microcomputers with the thing. And I witnessed the emergence of PCs. That so. would be me too. And I actually just had an, uh, recently had a, a Facebook argument or a LinkedIn argument, which I don't recommend, with somebody about whether NetWare counted as, an, as a network operating system. The contention was that it didn't because it was too old. But Network actually was a freaking good network operating system by the end. Network 5. Well, it wasn't arguably calling it a network operating system. I would have called it a server operating system because Novell Network gave us a file sharing in the early days and then later on became an architecture for sharing a wide range of data. So I wouldn't call it a network operating system, but it was on par with things like Windows NT, and now what is called Windows Server of its various iterations. It, it actually wasn't it wasn't on par. It was better than. Sorry, one of oh, the yes. uh, well, yeah. yeah, one of the great moments of my career was when I was looking at um, parallel processing and, and who was able to scale linearly as you added uh, CPUs. And it turned out that only network could do it out of OS2, Linux and in NT, only network scaled linearly the more uh, the more CPUs you added. Well, of course it did. But we did grab a Mormon product, and it was designed to do things the right way because that was and it was literally a function, a substantial part. Weirdly, of the history of NetWare was that it was partly owned by the Mormon Church. In I did Salt not Lake know City. that. I yeah, I knew it came from Salt Lake City. In fact, yeah. the CTO was in Salt Lake City when we ran the tests because we yeah. were in close touch with Microsoft and. Uh, mm and Novell and IBM while we were doing all those tests. Anyway, we digress. Heavily influenced. <laughs> and that sort of influence was flowed through into the product. In fact, that a lot of the company structure was based around the principles of operation that came out of the Mormon church. That sense of discipline and the way that they operated the company was a little odd if for most people who weren't familiar with that, once you understood it. Which is probably one of the things I'd wish I'd known back when is one of the ones that I put here is track the industry, not just the task. That is... Just because you're operating a thing, that's not just the thing. You actually should track the whole industry around you. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Just because you're an expert at R technology or R programming language or product range, if the industry shifts and your skills are obsolete, then you may find yourself working in a dead-end job. Now, of course, COBOL was a dead-end job and now is un no, no longer a dead-end job. I, I was just thinking about that in fact the market for co cobalt programmers so far as i know has never been better because yeah. you've got all these uh, financial firms with legacy legacy environments who can't find programmers for love or money so yeah. but you don't want to be stuck in that kind of no you don't want to be stuck in that you want to know maybe if you had been doing cobalt you knew to jump onto a new language and then maybe you're coming back because you're tracking the industry i think that would be a better way to look at it so I wish that I had not overcommitted so much time and resources to a particular brand or a particular vendor. And in the early days, it took me a while to realize that tracking the industry and what was going on helped me build my career, but also allowed me to deliver benefits to my employer because I was able to talk about, oh, this product is probably reaching end of life and we should avoid it if we can manage it. Or this technology is starting to mature and it's now ready for widespread deployment and then be able to justify it. So track the industry, not just the task. And I will just back that up with one final observation. You reminded me of something. Um, when I was CTO of a consulting and engineering firm, my CEO literally wanted to give a BMW to every engineer who completed his or her CCIE. 
And I actually stopped that because I said, listen, that is actually going to warp our skills. And yes, a CCIE is valuable, but this this whole field of security is rising. And we may want to start rewarding things like at the time CISSP mm. as much as or more so than CCIE. So I don't want to be throwing all our resources behind a single spec at a single yeah. vendor, no matter how hot it is today. Exactly and, what you said. And that's an interesting that one, one because um, back in the day, companies having CCIEs, especially resellers, was a substantial <clears throat> right. thing. Right. And so that was driving the business goal, not play. So I guess one of my things uh, from that same company, I do recall the CEO actually yelling at me with these words, almost actually not quite these words. It's not about the freaking network. It's about what the freaking network can do for me. And just to be clear, he didn't say freaking, but <laughs> the point was, even if it's something as boring as infrastructure, so to speak, you really need to translate all new technology into, you know, I hate to use this buzzword, but business value. What's mm. the actual benefit to the users? If I come back and said, hey, listen, all of your sites are going to, you know, we're going to increase our reliability so that all your sites are not going to come down a couple hours a year or whatever. I think I would have gotten the sign off. And instead, you know, I wanted to go spend money to do the right thing, which is also one of my uh, one of my things that you want to think about. Mm -hmm. And I failed to turn it into what it would do for him and didn't get, get didn't get the approval and had to come back and ask again later. So always try to think about when you're asking for resources, for money, for upgrades or even to launch new initiatives, position it in terms of what it will do for the users in the company. The thing that I would extend into this is that there's a bunch of waffle in business self-help books here. This is called emotional intelligence. <laughs> so emotional intelligence is understanding the person that you're talking to and how their emotional feelings are about the project, the technology or the business. And you might be faced up to a hard-ass manager who just wants to say, what is this going to do for me? You might also be facing up to somebody who's having personal troubles in their life. And they may actually be telling you to get out because I'm struggling to cope with the fact that my wife is dying or my child is sick or whatever, right? And sometimes it's not about the freaking network. It's actually just like, <clears throat> please leave me alone. <laughs> so emotional intelligence. That wasn't the case with my boss, no. but yes, I agree. It does happen. But emotional intelligence is about how do you pitch something to people? And so whenever I fail to convince a manager of an idea that I'm having, I always blame myself because I must not have pitched it well enough to explain what I was trying to get across. I don't get overly rotated about blaming myself. I just go like, maybe I didn't get the story or the angle or the pitch, right? You know, it's like reading or, a bad science fiction novel. Sometimes the storyline just goes wrong. Well, or as you just alluded to, but I want to draw out and highlight, maybe the timing was wrong. Maybe you mm. should have known better than to pitch, you know, at that time of day, at that moment in that person's life. And that gets comes back to EQ. It's not just how to shape the pitch, but also when to deliver it. My next one is uh, quit more often. I wish I hadn't in the early stages of my career. I was a very loyal uh, salary slave, as I now call it. And I did all the things and identified with the brand of my employer. And I was a good, a good loyal um, surf doing all the things that were asked and committing extra hours in the hope of future awards. And I now hate myself. So I wish I had quit more often. I wish I had moved jobs more often. I wish I had followed the money more often because I would be better off in my life. I would be uh, more financially secure. I would have had better choices. I would have moved on. And I think mentally and emotionally, I would have been stronger because I would have learned much earlier in my career that companies don't love you, they just use you. And that's that's the deal. That is the Faustian bargain that we make. They hire you, they pay you money, and your job is to do the least amount of work for the most amount of money, and their job is to pay you the least amount of money for the most amount of work, and you have to find the middle ground that you can think. 
that's something I just wish I'd learned way back when. I want to back that up as well. I, I once worked with somebody for whom um, a lot of careers or a lot of companies on a resume was a was a red alert. And I always argued, no, this is a person who is smart, ambitious, and knows how to get ahead. I mean, now, obviously, if every single job is six months or, or less, that's a mm. problem. But, you know, if you stay on board for two, two to three years, you know, and then move on, I don't see anything negative about that when I'm hiring. No. As long as the person can explain the rationale and says, listen, I moved on to this other thing. And typically that person is probably more expensive than someone that you were, you're trying to hire that spent, you know, 15 or 20 years at the same company, which yeah. goes back to your point, Craig. And so the key here is that you, especially if you've got a limited skill set, there's so many employers and so few people. So the shortage of tech skills has become more and more dire, uh, particularly as we speak here in January 2022. Um, you get to make choices. They're not going to look at your resume and go like, oh, look, I don't like that you're here. You just go like, okay, move on to the next one. Particularly if you're in areas like cybersecurity. But uh, also keep in mind it's a demographic thing. So if you are Gen X or younger, you're in a good position if you keep your t skills polished. Mm -hmm. For my next one, I'm going to circle back to the whole notion of how to do a pitch effectively. And I'll put myself on the management side of this. I was the CEO of, of Nemertes at this point, And one of my tech people came to me and said, hey, I want to do X. And I kind of said, no, I think X is expensive. And I, I'm not sure you, we really want to invest your time and energy. And he kind of nodded and went away. And he went ahead and built proof of concept of X and then said, the next call was, hey, John, I want to show you something. Well, wow, X was amazing. I was really happy to see it. But the problem was, he couldn't describe it in a way that caused me to immediately intuit what the benefit and advantage would be. So I took one look at that and said, oh, show, don't tell. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of having Skunk Works projects uh, up to a point. Obviously, you don't want to get so involved in your Skunk Works project that you get, um, you know, that you aren't delivering on your day job. Difficult. Although these days with the emergence of SaaS, that's actually been turned into an entire industry, I think. Exactly. You know that, and I, I go online, rent it. If it works, you will adopt it. And then all of a sudden you're skewered. I call it yep. a sucker pack. A lot of SaaS stuff. They give away the, something for free and then you suck it into the product and then you're stuck with it. I, I think more IaaS in this one because, mm. and, you know, you can go out and build something very quickly on AWS or Azure and then show your boss. And if they like it, you can then begin the process of productizing it. If they don't like it, you just shoot it and you're done and no resources were consumed above and beyond what you what you consume to build it, which is why R&D and IaaS are such a great match. Uh, my next one is you're worth more than you think. Uh, one of the things about technology skills particularly, or even technology management skills, is it's rare and it has always been rare. There's a particular, often, up until now, particular personalities are well suited to the detail-orientated work as well as the breadth. So one of the things that people underestimate about technology is just the breadth of skills. We're always being told to be technologists. We're also being told to be business people. We have to be able to speak to business. That's a very rare thing. You don't hire a secretary and then demand that that person understand the business. You don't hire a factory worker and say you have to understand the business. Technology workers have very wide skills. If people try to make you feel like you're worthless, that you're just a piece of a machine, that you're just a grunt in the thing, that's what that's wrong. You are a very specific niche specialist and you should get up and go. You should leave. Go back to my previous point. Quitting gets results. Don't be devalued. You are should be treasured and valued in your employer. And that is what people are discovering is that IT workers are absolutely unique. And 
My favorite story here is when I was working for a major global firm and they had this salary. They offered me a salary job. They wanted me to come on board as a full-time employee and they offered me, let's just make up a number. They wanted to offer me a 65,000 shekel salary. And I said, you do realize that uh, that is not a very large package. And he said, well, I can't pay you any more than that because I'm not allowed to pay engineers more than executives. And I said, but I'm worth more than executives. I'm already earning twice to three times that, depending on a few things. Why would I Why would I choose this package? And he just looked at me and went like, are you serious? You're earning that much? And I went like, well, yes, I'm worth that. Be aware that you are worth more than you think, and you're certainly worth more than an executive who has no skills other than to sign bits of paper and to take responsibility for some things. I want to back that up on two points because I'm thinking about some of my clients right now, and I don't, and I think they would do well to internalize this. There are two particular weaknesses that IT people fall into. One is to to devalue their own technical skills, and a lot of people that get into IT aren't necessarily, you know, the world's best engineer. Uh, I know I'm not. There are people who are absolutely cutting edge, you know, tip of the yeah, tip of the pyramid, world class engineers, and you may be thinking, you know what? I'm not one of those guys or gals, so I'm not that good. Guess what? You probably have skills that matter as much as or more than great engineering, such as project management or people skills. And don't devalue yourself because you may have those other skills in addition to damn good, if not great, engineering skills. And the flip side of that is some people, and I know them, are extremely good engineers and they say, listen, I can't even do that human management, so I'm you know, not going, to, not going to get promoted up the stack. And the answer to that is, you know what? You're a great engineer. Those people are incredibly valuable and you deserve, just like you know, mm. Greg, you were saying, you deserve more. So if you're looking at yourself and you're, you're comparing yourself against your peers and you notice that you're either not quite as good at management as this guy or not quite as good at engineering is that gal don't worry about it because being good in multiple axes is greatness in its own way which brings me to my next one which is uh and i'm going to go a little a little rude here so if there's children in the car please but the answer the best way i can subscribe to this is to don't be a dick certain people think that being prickly or that being rude or that being shouty or being offensive or being whatever gets you somewhere in this world you should and, and and most often if you're going to be any of the things that are just described you just look like you're being self-entitled or that you're full of yourself or that your ego you know you're bigger than your boots whatever the metaphor you want so my simplest thing is when I was younger I might have been a little brusque you know and I was definitely struggling in my early days with the responsibility and the diversity and the, how much I had to learn and how much business skills I had to develop and dealing with customers and dealing with stakeholders was definitely an overload and it was hard to do and it's you can be short and be the person that you want to be talking to and if you're ever about to say something and you think to yourself that I think I'm sounding like I'm a bit of a dick don't do that that's when you've crossed the line probably you probably crossed 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 the line 20 minutes ago <laughs> if you caught it if you're like me yeah. I, I would I would add to that though there is there is a component that's actually pretty important which is in engineering and in IT generally it's perfectly okay to say this design doesn't work and you can even passionately say it this design is freaking broken that's okay you're an idiot you just crossed the line mm. uh, and all of us build things that aren't perfect um, you know my partner and I like to talk about things that are suboptimal and guess what almost everything is suboptimal. So it's only a matter of degrees of suboptimal. If you start 
attacking the person rather than the design, that's where you have a problem. It's a legitimate thing to, to attack the design or attack the mm. process and say, this does not work. If you can back up your proof of not working, then there you go. And one of the great things in technology is you don't have to worry about sugarcoating a statement like this doesn't work. Because yeah. as I'm always pointing out, if the bridge falls down in engineering, it's kind of obvious. You know, if there's something in you know, politics, you, it's nebulous. You can't say whether something works or doesn't work. But if the bridge falls down, it didn't work. It stopped working as a bridge. So I, I'm going to jump to one talking about yourself and how to behave and how to how to be. I would strongly recommend not being a hero. So all of us in IT have that wonderful moment where something went wrong. They call you, you jump in, you step in, charge into the breach, you fix everything. And everybody goes, oh my gosh, that's wonderful, Jonna. What could we have done without you? That's great, but after you know the pats on the back are done, you should sit there and revisit the process and, and the technology and figure out why did that process require heroism in the first place? Because it shouldn't. Good IT fades into the background because it just works. And if you design things so that all of a sudden everybody has to jump in and be a hero, you create a culture of heroism, which means, and I've seen this again and again, that you actually devalue the culture of stability. And sometimes you need the stability as a foundation to build on. So having a culture where the, the technologists jump in and save everything with their you know, technical chops is not optimal. It just means that you failed to think through how to do things the right way. Which brings me to my last point, really, which is I do believe in doing things the right way. Architecture matters. There's such a thing as elegance of design. Mm. And... Every time I've taken a shortcut, even the times that I've acknowledged it's a shortcut and I know, you know, I am prepared to deal with the consequences, the consequences are usually technical debt and you really hate yourself afterwards. One of the very simple approaches to doing things the right way and squaring that with getting things done and, and moving ahead is, is to kind of say, okay, we have defined what the right way is. We are going to do it the wrong way for this exact moment. Now we've planned to go back and revisit it and fix it and we will never do it the wrong way in the future and if you take that mindset then sometimes you can take the shortcut as long as you circle back and tidy up and move forward i'm gonna argue the challenge on oh, go ahead go i i, go I ahead. stopped caring about the architecture i just want to get paid <laughs> so well there's that i can i will do my very best to present an architecture to outlay a strategy that is logically and coherently put together to the best of what i can research and design but if people say no i go okay, and get paid either which way. Yes, you're right. The architecture should be right. But don't be a hero. Don't die on that hill. Don't get attached, emotionally attached to the work and say, oh, but this architecture is never going to work and throw your toys and stomp out of the room or any of that sort of stuff. Just go, okay, you're going to get paid either which way. That's great. Let's just go and do that. I love this new dumb architecture that you've just designed. And the, you know, and I know you're underspending or you're crippling it, but I'm still going to get paid either which way. Thanks very much. Have a nice day. Well, Greg, I would add that to one of your things I wish I'd known. I think at that point you walk out the door and update your resume. In fact, I'm thinking of a client who did exactly that. He went in, he had a wonderful strategy designed for mobility. And the person who reviewed it essentially said, well, no, I just want a puzzle piece that says mobility on it so I can drop it into my bigger puzzle of digital transformation and have pretty slideware to show the board. And he kind of said, Okay, sure. 
and then developed some slides and handed them to that person and then walked out the door, which oh. is what I would recommend. Don't don't live someplace where they don't understand the value of the architecture. You may have to put up with it in the short term to get paid, yeah. but you should be looking somewhere else at that point because it's just soul-sucking to live someplace well, where be, they want to do you know, it the wrong just way. Don't get it. I mean, I've put so yeah. forward over the years so many different architectures and uh, for whatever reason they didn't get accepted. As I tweeted today, sometimes I used to put uh, bad words or just make up words to put into a discussion. If I didn't get pulled up by the executive, I knew that they were dumber than I thought they were and then I'd have to dumb it down, move it down from 17-year-old comprehension to 14-year-old or something like that because that's what executives do, right? That technology is not their job apparently. That's why they want us to have business skills. Don't get attached to it, right? If the people say that that's not what they want and they want to do something different, just go, yeah, sure. I get paid the same regardless and move on. And if you're really unhappy about it or it's not going in a direction that you want to work on, just walk out the door to the next job. Don't don't sweat it. Yeah, don't get so it. I guess, it's just a job. Yeah, so I guess the uh, the sum up on that one is be like Buddha, practice non-attachment <laughs> to your to your work. Like do All your best work, change. but don't acceptance of but, change is the way. Yes. Exactly. Don't be don't be too attached to the outcome because you can't control everything and you certainly can't control, you know, nutty the nutty executives yeah. you have to work for. One, if there's a common theme through all of this, it's being gracious under criticism because criticism mm. is a part of what we do quite often. When criticized, some of it will be good, some of it will be bad, but you should be gracious in all circumstances like that because sometimes criticism comes from a place of evil, if you like, or, or bad to do you down. And sometimes it comes from a place of good and it's just easier to be gracious and say, I'm sorry, or I don't agree with that or whatever, but respond graciously and your life will be better because then you'll go home at night and not be panicked about whatever happened in the day or stressed or concerned. Just relax. It's just a job. It, it is. And actually, I'm constantly surprised by the times I see IT people treat it, their jobs as a passion, as a vision, which I think is wonderful. I think it's something that businesses take huge advantage over. And I just remember, I, you know, as some folks may know, I was actually in the PhD program for particle physics and I dropped out because, because one of the big reasons was I didn't care enough. There, the people around me were going to do science, whether they got paid peanuts or whether they didn't get paid mm. because they were so caught up in the value of what they did and they were on a mission. And I was kind of like, well, science is fun. Um, but evidently, it's not valued enough in the society to pay yeah. me even the starting starting salary of an entry level engineer. So thanks, but I'll go do this other thing yeah. that's almost equally yeah. fun. Yeah, not as exciting to talk about it at cocktail I parties. Sound, but... I must sound like such a horrible mercenary. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I work for a living. I don't live to work, and I want the money so that I can go and have a life that I enjoy. Now some now. And for some people, that's financial security, socking it away in a bank or a retirement fund. For some people, it's going and buying fancy cars and smart and fast boats and then, you know, burning the money up like whatever. That's okay. But yes, to some extent, I am a bit of a mercenary, but that is the nature of employment. You are hired to do a job. You're hired to do work for the least amount of money. And your job is to earn the most amount of money and do the least amount of work. And in somewhere in the middle of that is where uh, a life balance emerges, I think. And I have nothing further to add to that. So hopefully well, this uh, this session has been helpful. <laughs> things I wish I'd known back then. Jonah, where can people find you on the internet? Go look for me at LinkedIn, Jonah Till Johnson. Easy enough to find. I'm the only one. Look forward to hearing from you. And it's J-O-H-N-A. If you're looking for Jonah and you don't know how to spell it, J-O-H-N-A on LinkedIn. I'm Greg Farrell. You can find me on Twitter 
as at Ethereal Mind. And you can find more fine, free technical podcasts like this on the Packet Pushes Network at packetpushes.net. We have a whole range of different podcasts here. Thanks for listening to Heavy Strategy. And remember that the question is probably more interesting than the answers we're giving you.